HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have the wine director from Lincoln Ristorante, Aaron Von Rock, on the show. I was recently at Lincoln with, uh, with my mother. Um, we had just this killer, killer lunch. Um, the wine service was amazing. Jonathan Benno's food was incredible. The place is beautiful. Um, I, I just, we, we were still talking about this lunch. Uh, so, Aaron, it's just such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Joe. Welcome, welcome. Um, and, you know, Aaron, I've known you, I feel like I've known you for, for quite a few years at this point. Um, I remember trying to sell wine to you when you're at Telepan Restaurant. Um, but Aaron's been in the industry. He's definitely one of the, uh, I think, one of the greats in, in New York City. Um, very, very well regarded, well respected. Just uh, one of the super, super nice guy. And probably, I can actually, I can say this without uh, any hesitation, the best set of sideburns ever. I, I always wanted to ask you about them. How did that happen? You know, there's an old picture of my great-great-grandfather with a group of Prussian field marshals, and all of the beards were really distinctive. So I thought there might be something there. And then when my beard started to come in, it suggested a shape that was very similar. So I kind of stuck with it. All right. Um, well, that's that's awesome. I always wanted to know that. So thanks for. Uh, there's never really a good a good opportunity for me to ask you, but I, I feel like <laughs> this is this was this was the chance. Um, so, Aaron, tell us a little bit about how you got into um, into the industry. Um, yeah, and now you're working at one of the you know one of the greatest restaurants in New York. But how did how do you get to this point? Well, you know the uh, the sommelier industry has grown quite a bit, but when I got into the business, it wasn't very in it wasn't an intuitive direction for anybody at, the, at that time. But I grew up making horrible wine, as the free child laborer from my mother's Concord grape wine in Maryland, really a uh, comical brown stuff that would uh, result. But your basement smells like wine. Right away, you had an edge on all of your peers about wine knowledge. 
I was looking at her uh, her old wine book, little guide to how to make wine. It was obvious the authors who were American had been to California. This is uh, written in the '60s, but they'd never been to Europe. So their description of grape varieties and uh, what to expect well, it was pretty comical. But uh, now, was she growing the grapes in the backyard? It was her grandfather's old vineyard up the hill from the house where I grew up. So we played in the vines. Uh, they were the canopy was very comical. It was more like a tunnel. And the, uh, and the grapes hung inside the tunnel out of the sun entirely. Wow. That's uh, exactly like my experience in Queens growing up. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so you, so you, did you have positive memories of this, this brown kind of dubious wine? Well, I think uh, when you're stomping grapes, it's fun for a few minutes. And then the CO2 kicks in and you're giddy for a few more. And then, then it's a chore. But uh, drinking the wine you made... When you were eight at age twelve is a it can be a lot of fun yeah that's that's pretty cool that's pretty cool, so I know that you went you ended up going to Boston University and getting a degree in in finance that's right yeah and uh, how did you get into how did someone who goes to Boston University and gets a business degree end up working in the restaurant industry? Well, I came here uh, to work with writing the business case studies in uh, in New York with a Columbia professor and uh, ended up getting a restaurant job discovered that uh that I was meeting winemakers and the kind of people I wanted to be around were uh, were these generous souls who tried to make people happy that they may never meet so that's what really engendered the the spirit it was the it was the people I was around who are some of those early winemakers do you remember them oh the the Perrin brothers from uh from, you know in Chateauneuf de Pop the uh, the way they were so generous with bringing old vintages and making them available that was really kind of a, an interesting crowd Get the California winemakers, they have this good, great sense of adventure, unbridled yeah. spirit. Oh, that's that's awesome. And you were working in restaurants at this time while working in school? Uh, yes, okay. I was, yeah. And where, what restaurants where were you? What were you a, doing? What were your first jobs in the restaurant industry? I was at a restaurant called Verbena, a little, uh, little garden restaurant down on Irving Place for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had just opened, and so I was in there in the beginning. The uh, the consultant for the wine program there was David Gordon. He was working on a Tribeca Grill, and he was kind of a great personality to be around as well. Great sense of humor, and uh, really intent upon making wine accessible. And how do you think the wine industry has changed from your years at Verbena um, to today? Well, we've seen a lot of uh, the wine market's really grown expansively in order to keep up with uh, just even Italian wines right now, I have to taste about ten to 13,000 wines a year in, in order to make a judgment. I walked into a room the other day uh, full of wine and was relieved to know that I didn't have to taste all of the wine like I used to have to at Telepan because we bought internationally. You didn't want to miss anything. Now I can focus on champagne and Italian wine like we do for our list at Lincoln. Jeez, ten to thirteen thousand wines a year you taste. There's a few bulldogs. That's what I call them. When I see these characters that always go to the tastings, always try to taste everything. Yeah. There's a few bulldogs in the business. But Wait, so would you characterize yourself as one of the bulldogs? Got to go once more back into the breach. God, so how many? So my math is terrible. That's it's probably why I went to the restaurant industry. How many? <laughs> uh, how many wines a week are you tasting? What's your What's your schedule like? It's the tasting seasons, really, spring yeah. and fall, when there's a room full of hundreds of wines, and and you make sure you get a few hundred done. And those intensive weeks, sometimes there's multiple tastings in a day. Yeah. They can be pretty brutal. So I always have a hard time. Like I, my, I, I feel like I get tired. And I lose my interest after. 
I don't know, maybe a hundred wines. Uh, how, like, what's your technique? How do you, how do you do it? How do you, how do you give that two hundredth wine the same kind of attention and give it its its rightful due as the as the hundredth or fiftieth wine or the first wine even? We like to use a few different wines to freshen up. You know, go to revisit the sparkling table if you haven't already, or save it for a little later, and uh, your palate gains some agility too over mm-hmm. time. And are you able to go into work after multiple tastings? Yes, of course. And you have to it's a, just have a toothbrush handy so you don't <laughs> horrify your guest with that uh, with that, a bad case of uh, Nero Davila face. <laughs> that's that's going to be my new term for it, Nero Davila face. When you get like when the, the the red wine is not only on your teeth but it's on your lips and your your cheeks start turning red and your sideburns, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you get a little bit a little drip in your sideburns. Oh man, that's that's really intense. Um, so the list at Lincoln, um, that, that, I mean, it's, it's just really exciting. I think it's a list really, um, of my own heart. Uh, I, I love going there and, and, uh, I see all my favorites. And then if there's a wine on that list that, that I don't know, I'm like, God, I better, like, I better find out about what that wine, because Aaron's on to something. Um, it's going to be a really good wine, but tell us a little bit about the list. It's a regional Italian and champagne. And that's right. The idea is uh, we're drinking in Italy. They, they're a big importer of champagne as well. But then of course, all the regional wines are important and we have to add a sense of Italian flair to a name like Lincoln because it's a, it's a ristorante. It's an Italian destination so we want to give that perception with the wine list too yeah and so at the i I know you guys are very tuscany focused tuscany heavy good amount of piedmont Uh, what regions are you are you really uh, excited about right now we're tuscan focused for this season Mm -hmm. we're maneuvering around the regions the menu picks up on a, a focus for about a month and a half to two months and it's tuscany right now and of course, that's uh, you could say that's like shooting fish in a barrel, finding great Tuscan wines. But we're exploring. We're finding more on the coast, the islands off the coast, and little regions like Cortona, where Syrah has been great for some time, giving it a little different flavor and flair to the adventure in Tuscany. But uh, we just come from Liguria in focus, too, and that's kind of just try and find big red wine from Liguria. It's a challenge. That's a challenge. Yeah. I love Ligurian wines. Um, I just had, we just did a, a James Beard dinner uh, last week and I poured the Punta Crena Pigato from Kermit Lynch, which was, ju- it's just a killer wine. It's funny how when you're trying to taste through and find a bunch of wines from Liguria you, and you end up with a few producers instead of a broad range because mm-hmm. some of them stand head and shoulders and Punta Crena is one of them. Yeah, who else We're, do you like in Liguria? Well, I mean, Bisson is pretty uh, is pretty fun to uh, go through. He has the uh, the new Abisi, you know, the wine that's the sparkling wine aged under the water. So it's a mimics that uh, the uh, 1907 Hyde Seat Champagne you know, elevage yes. process. I remember when I read about it, there's a New York Times article talking about this Bisson wine that, that is aged underneath the, underneath the water in the Ligurian Sea. And, and the title of the article was, well, it goes with fish. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, uh, of course, it's great for insiders, too. And uh, you want a bottle that has lots of barnacles on it, though, because otherwise you don't really get the flavor for it. <laughs> yeah, we had I had a bottle that had a starfish and a shrimp on it. Oh, you're very lucky. That that's was... a, that's a you should have held on to that. That's worth about twice as much as the rest. Of it. <laughs> 
that was awesome. So, what what producers are you uh, are you excited about in uh, in Tuscany? I mean, there are so many great names. They're classic producers. Um, is there anyone up and coming that uh, maybe we don't know about? The uh, the Luigi D'Alessandra project is uh, is up in Cortona. Mm-hmm. That's Syrah, and they have, they make a Viognier blend as well. That I think uh, is really something that's exciting. This a uh, mineral highlight that carries the finish into great length, cleans up the aromatics. It's something you want to be enchanted by with Viognier, but you don't want to be feel like you're drinking cologne after a while. And uh, it's a fantastic product. Then the range of Syrahs, you get a great feel for Northern Rhone productions in one style, and then some New World, you know, more blueberry but still entertaining minerality, too. So that's been a fun new wine for us. And, of course, it's a, this, the secret is that there's a great Barolo producer making the wine. Really? Wait, who is that? It's Luca Carrada. Oh, it's Luca Carrada. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. That adds an edge of excitement to it, too. That's pretty cool. And uh, La Spinetta is doing, uh, was it Chili Edgelo or uh, some... And uh, they're doing really well with even entry-level pri- uh, priced wines, so I yeah. keep an eye out for that. The, the Cento Percento is a fantastic, easy-drinking Sangiovese with great purity. That's that's awesome. Um, I you know I was just thinking about this. This is an idea that you had that uh, I am totally jealous, and I wish I had this idea for the uh, one of my favorite things at at Lincoln is the Negroni Bar. It's kind of a, a make your own customize your own Negroni and God, I love Negronis and I wish that I had this idea. How did you come up with this? It came up with the, after leaving a wine tasting, let's say for instance, you didn't have to go to work after a big wine tasting. You discovered a lot of winery insiders, uh, wine producers, sommeliers, they would crave a beer or a Negroni and you'd walk into a bar that didn't have the ingredients. So you'd try to cobble it together yourself. And after doing it, it started to become fun among my circle of friends. So when we thought about doing a Negroni bar at Lincoln, it was all about something for the industry to have fun playing with different flavors. Since we started the project, the marketplace for interesting aperitivo bitters has grown. There's more interesting vermouth available now as well. And, of course, locally made gins, like the Brooklyn Gin Producers. Uh, giving us a chance to do some local product as well. Yeah. So what's your go-to Negroni? Well, I fell in love with uh, this Philadelphia spirit, the Blue Coat, and because it was such a, it was, it was like an organic Bombay Sapphire with a little more verve to it. And then uh, we just discovered the uh, the Cokie Rosa. It's a rosé vermouth made with a base of brichetto, and it adds this wonderful like afternoon sunshiny pink hue to the finished product. And then there's a aperitivo bitters from Colorado called Breckenridge. It's a blonde in color, but it's really assertive range of flavors mm-hmm. and bittering details. And so no no Campari in that one. No, no Campari in that one. That's that, pretty cool. The cool thing blonde. about that Koki uh, is that most red, uh, uh, red vermouth is made from actually white grapes with some caramel color. And so I know that Koki for their red and the rosé, actually, they use red grapes and that gives it a different aromatic profile and i think they're they're just really pretty really flavorful uh vermouths and some of their recipes are old recipes too so it's not a newfangled adventure for them but uh, the rosa is certainly a new one 
Yeah, that's a really good one. So we're going to take a, uh, a very quick break, and when I come back, well, I want to ask you about uh, what it's like to work with the great chef Jonathan Benno and how you go about pairing your wines uh, with his food. So we'll be right back. In the middle of a firestorm in the early morning light Tears are coming once to give in, but you can get out so we learn to fight as we raise as it is this when we can win. You're listening to Firestorm Decline by Jen Jaden and the Greenstone on Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. We're back on In the Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. Um, thanks to Surrey Farms. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's switch it up a little bit. Aaron, what Italian wine would you pair with some Surrey Farms um, uh, pork? Oh, you know, we've got a... We've got a- a favorite that I ran into at a little restaurant that opened up downtown called La Piccio. The, uh, <laughs> the, the wine team there, some characters, they, uh, they had the bravery to pour Savuto by the glass, which is, uh, when you first sip it, it's a dirty, I mean, and as you go up the scale of the Savuto productions by Odoardi, they just get dirtier and dirtier. And you're, you're shoveling a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, stuff to get through that wine and then you have it with food and it blossoms it's one of the best food wine pairings i've seen so i had had that with a with some of the meatballs down there and uh, it was an amazing transformation awesome i love to share that wine with people who want to see how a wine can change dramatically with food Thank you for giving us that love feature, <laughs> by the way. Very much appreciated. I remember we had uh, we did a winemaker dinner with Odoardi nice. um, at Lartuzzi, and I, I love these wines. And I think it was his very first time in uh, in America. Um, his importer, Yanda More, love that guy, I'm sure. I know you guys Indeed. work with him a, a lot as well. Uh, he pulls me. We sold out the whole top floor of Lartuzzi. It was like 55 people. He pulls me aside. Uh, right before we're going to get started. And he's like, Joe, I, I don't understand. I am a farmer from a small town in Calabria. Why are all these people here to see me? And it was just like the sweetest thing. I'm like, your wines are great. People love them. They're, this is awesome. And he's like, it was such a new concept for him to like travel and do winemaker dinner and people be interested uh, about his wines on a different level. I thought that was really cool. It's nice to see that he's that modest too because his wines are, you know, Obviously not his way 2,000 years ago, but they're cited frequently as the punctuating wine at a Roman Bacchanal. Oh, the, the Savuto area. That's right. 
That sound. I would love to go to a Roman Bacchanal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have the punctuation marks. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit more going back to uh, Lincoln Ristorante and the uh, the great chef Jonathan Benno, who was obviously was the chef at Per Se before, and when Per Se got uh, all these great accolades, he uh, he was leading the helm over there, and then. Uh, moved to open up uh, Lincoln. Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to pair wine with his food and how you go about that. What's your thought process? Well, you know, the pairing wine with food is, uh, it's all about the quality of the food and the quality of the wine is a great place to start because then there are lots of happy accidents that can occur in the wine pairings. I remember the first time I walked into the kitchen when it was up and running and the scent in the kitchen, the uh, it was just the San Marzano tomato sauce, but it was uh, it was so room filling, and already evocative of what you can do with wines that entertain red fruits, mm-hmm. details of spice. It was immediately taken off to uh, great pure Chianti productions from Tuscany, or even Toraldigos as well from Trentino. But they had a immediate feel for this cuisine, and that it had really uh, it was kind of an enchanting atmosphere. And starting there. We even stole some of the uh, San Marzano tomato sauce for our Bloody Mary. So why not lift a Bloody Mary to your nose and get the scent as well as the flavors that it often entertains? Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea. And, you know, I really love pairing Sangiovese with, with red sauce. It's uh, this really crisp, high acid kind of uh, grape, and, it, and red sauce has so, much, has so much acid to it as well. I think that, that's kind of a match made in heaven. True, true enough. Yeah. Um, and tell us, okay, so champagne. Uh, I love champagne as well. I know that's a focus that you guys have uh, on the list. How did you bring champagne into the fold? Is it is it just because it's there's nothing as good as that in Italy, or uh, because Italians like to drink champagne as well? Where did that come from? Well, I uh, I remember the day I got hired to take over the Lincoln Beverage Program. About a good month before we opened to the public. I went to celebrate, and I sat down at the bar at Morea, and sitting next to me was uh, the owner of Spinetta, and that was kind of a happy accident, and he was talking about all the champagne that he imports into Italy, and I thought, this is our, this is our opportunity to really show off what it, drinking in Italy is about, Italian regional wines and champagne as well, and that was like the real go sign for me to bring, bring that into the list, add that dimension. Yeah, one of my favorite drink, drinking experiences in Italy ever was at a wine bar in Serralunga d'Alba called Centro Storico. I think it's in Serralunga. Yeah, it's in Serralunga. And uh, they have only champagne. I think they have only champagne. It's like <laughs> they definitely have an extraordinary like list of champagne. And it's a tiny little wine bar. And they have all these great uh, just grower champagnes. Um, and there, there are a few producers I, I'd never heard of. And they were... I like them as much as the great producers that, that I know, and that was that was really awesome to see. Well, Giorgio Rivetti is considered the Terry Thies of Italy, not only producing wine in two regions successfully, but also maneuvering and into an import market as well. Oh, that's great. So, and what are some of the producers that you're really excited about in, in Champagne? Who do you have on? Who are you focusing on on the list? Well, we uh, we finally got our allocation of Agripar L'Experience. I remember drinking that with a group of sommeliers after le- leaving. Luca Rowania dinner, and uh, we, we had to share it among five of us, and we were like little kids just sipping it, make sure. Hey, I think I was there. We but, had a lot of Rowania that night, but I think I was there. That's definitely <laughs> you. 
I think, uh, of course, that was with importer Douglas Polliner, and uh, I remember he was convinced by by Jeffrey Porter from uh, from downtown to open up a bottle of Agripar for us, and Doug took a big chunk out of it before sending us down the down back to the city. But uh, it was like Pouligny Montrachet meets uh, meets champagne, had the great uh, lemon curd and then elegant minerality to it as well, but also decidedly a champagne experience yes that was that was incredible and it seemed you know i i don't think i could have had another glass of barolo or barbaresco at that point um it was we were very lucky to to have that incredible dinner uh but that champagne was just perfect it just it was this big dinner we were, it was an overwhelming night we were so excited to have be at a dinner with uh, luca roania the great great producer great friends great people in the industry and then uh, to have that champagne was was killer. Yeah, we started a feature page. Uh, you know, we have a producer feature. We did a Luca Rowania page just because I think he's his fifth generation winemaker, and their their byline's kind of funny. Rowania never changes, but uh, then again, he's got like a rock and roll label on one Barolo that he makes, and then he's mm-hmm. got I think he's really ratcheted up the intensity and the quality in the wines to the degree that it's now something really highly coveted for all the right reasons. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so the other thing that I kind of wish I thought of that you guys do um, is your Prosecco uh, program. You have this kind of build-your-own-Prosecco bar. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you see a lot of Americans dining in season. It's something that I've watched uh, through the my years in the business really turn up over and over again, more restaurants. But drinking in season seems to be a natural follow-up too so we're bringing seasonal fruits and pureeing them for the for the prosecco bar now it's more like a create your own bellini to be honest but we're using different types of sparkling wine to add another edge to it too something happens when you puree a fruit with that with no sweetness added you need a little more sweetness so we've had some added some complimentary liqueur options that have been really fun I had to taste through 60 different options one day. I took a great picture of it, too, with a bar lined up with all these different color productions of uh, sparkling cocktails. Really very pretty. But you, there were some really big surprises in the flavor profiles. Like, we used cassis puree, and then we added limoncello just as, a, as, just as another option. And it really was remarkable how it added balance. Give that kind of great lemon mm-hmm. curd finish while you still have the wild berry essence. That's very cool. I mean, that's like when you when you're baking with blueberries, you always add like like if you add a little bit of lemon, it kind of brightens it up. Really, incidentally, I think that this is the best uh, use for prosecco is to add a little fruit puree <laughs> to it and turn it into some sort of bellini. Yeah, well, you know, Joe Campanelli and his white lambrusco. That's actually why I head to your joint sometimes because you need some white lambrusco every once in a while. Every once in a while, <laughs> you need. Uh, well, I appreciate that. In you know, in your time off, you you have been coming to our places. I very much appreciate that. But where else? Where else are you liking to go these days? Well, you know, in the neighborhood, we we turn the corner and head over to Bar Chibo, which is a uh, Owned by one of the great, he was formerly one of the great barmen in the city. You could uh, you could watch him work behind the bar as an artist, and uh, you'd see him. And you'd walk in, and he he'd acknowledge you and have complete control of everything going on at the forty seat bar he was working where I most watched him. Then he his dad was a was a chef, so he opened Bar Chibo, uh, his second place, mm-hmm. and uh, showing off some of the food. And uh, it's right around the corner, and they have. These such good friends with so many sommeliers that a lot of great wine ends up there. 
Very cool. Very cool. So the restaurant is right by Lincoln Center and the Met. Um, are you going to the opera all the time? Are you, are you seeing the ballet? Are you, are you the most cultured man in town? I actually don't have to go in the other buildings. The ballerinas dance in the plaza frequently enough. And uh, just hearing the conversation about the, the musicians, you know, a lot of the artists come into the restaurant after a show. So you get to experience the glow that they have and, uh, and meet a lot of different interesting people. But uh, we're basically hunkered down in Lincoln most of the time, though. Yeah. And uh, watching a even horrible weather in that plaza looks fantastic with an infinity pool. I recommend putting an infinity Incredible. pool. Incredible. We sat right by that. Uh, you recommend putting an infinity pool in... <laughs> Anywhere. I'm going to let my <laughs> kitchen sink overflow, I think. It just <laughs> makes a great look. Um, yeah, I remember uh, we sat by that huge, this huge window that overlooked the plaza, and you'd see interesting, really interesting characters, um, all different sorts walking through it, and, and it's quite the show. So what's a, t- a typical dinner service like? Is there a big pre-theater rush, and then a little lull, and then busy in the middle, and then busy at the end? Is that there's, How does that work? But there's not really any lull, though. So mm-hmm. it, the flow goes right into the, the intent diners who are there for a longer experience. So you really switch gears, but you stay, it stays pretty high intensity. We get pre-theater and we get post-theater as well. So it's a, it's a long arc to the night. Mm-hmm. Wow, sounds, sounds tiring. <laughs> oh, it's not so bad. I think uh, it's, once you get into that gear, it's a, you know, it's a gear that's easy to maintain. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's really great because that's that's the hard time. The the beginning, and the end is the hard time. The times when most restaurants have a hard time filling it up. I think at you know at Del Animo, we're always good with filling people up later. I think a lot of people t- maybe go there after work or just know it's a good late night spot. But to also have that that early hit, as we call it. I think that really puts you, anytime we've had a good early first sit- seating, we think oh, that, that just puts you in a good mindset for the rest. It gets the gears going. But if it's been kind of a, a lull, kind of a slow start, we, at least at our restaurants, we found that it's harder to get motivated when you get like that middle kind of hit. That's right. Yeah, it uh, definitely is a gear shift that sometimes not everyone's not ready for. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I can't thank you enough, uh, and I can't encourage everyone, all the listeners, enough to please go to go to Lincoln. We had just a killer meal there. I can't wait to go back. Um, like I said, my mom and I are still still talking about it, and uh, it's it's uh, a great restaurant in, uh, especially in a neighborhood where there 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 isn't that much, but it's getting better all the time. It's getting better all the time there. Um, so thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, you'll be seeing me uh, drinking one of your Negronis and, and having some wine there soon for sure. I'll see you downtown, Joe. All right, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>